about it. You know, there's a lot of complaining in the Old Testament. Sometimes I really relate to that part of it. But, you know, there's a lot, and, and they complain about this bad place that, honestly, they've kind of put themselves in. You know, sometimes not, but a lot of times they did. And so, you know, God's got to respond to that, respond to his people, and, of course, he does it in his sovereign way. But, you know, they, they complain about this God that they feel forgotten about or that they feel that he's abandoned his own people, that God has forgotten about them. So we're going to land today uh, in two stories. I'll do some real brief summaries to get us to parts in these stories that we'll slow down and look at some verses. Um, but the first story starts in the book of Judges, uh, chapters 6 through 8, with the story of Gideon. Now, we've already heard about him and the big chicken he was uh, from Regina's preaching a month or so ago. And um, so Gideon's getting a lot of limelight here lately. But uh, there's lots to learn from the word of God. And so we're going to revisit his story this morning. So I'm going to start with a little summary. When we land in chapter 6, Gideon's story starts off uh, with Israel in one of these bad spots that I just mentioned. They're in a bad spot with God, they're complaining about it, and um, Israel has turned from God, uh, but they blame God for handing them over to the enemy, the scripture says. And they cry out to God, their God, Yahweh, and, and they're asking him, you've let us live among our enemies, and you've kind of abandoned us now for seven years. We've been oppressed by these, this enemy, these peoples, and, and more than just the Midianites, but they're one of the ones listed, and they've been devastated at the hands of their enemy. You know, this is much like that cry for deliverance from the Egyptians with Moses. And so we move along in, in uh, chapter 6, and God sends a prophet, and that's enter Gideon here, in response to Israel's complaining. But Gideon, you know, whoever's familiar with the story here this morning, and if you're not, you can read about it uh, further. But Gideon, you know, his story is all about kind of this, this chicken side of him. He, he kind of doubts God. You know, we read that for most of his story. <laughs> There's a lot of doubting. And he, he doubts that God's presence, not, not, so not, it's not even that it's, he just doubts that God is speaking to him. He doubts that God's presence is even among the, his people. He doesn't really have much of a relationship with God. He's kind of part of this generation that the relationship with God had kind of been lost. And um, he had heard stories of his ancestors and their relationship and how great God was in their lives, but he hadn't really experienced that for himself. And so when God calls Gideon to be the leader, to as God's response to the complaints of the Israelites, God sends Gideon and makes him this military leader, and uh, Gideon has doubts about that. Um, and so God tasks Gideon with delivering Israel out of the hands of their enemies. And God calls him, you know, the famous line that we know. He says to Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. But not because Gideon was which we clearly would see if we read the rest of the story line by line. He's not this man of valor because uh, of who Gideon was. 
Gideon was scared. He's, a, he's doubting most of it, the time. He's testing God. And sometimes we do need to do that in order to know God is truly speaking to us. Um, but even Gideon knows. I, man of valor, who? Even Gideon knows, I, I don't live up to that title. And here's God calling him that. But on several occasions throughout his story, we see God responding to Gideon's doubt and his testing of God with reassurance. And God's reassurance that he gives to Gideon is, whatever God is asking him to do, God says, Gideon, I am with you. And that's what made him a mighty man of valor. God's presence with him. So, if we continue to read the story, we've got a few chapters here. Gideon struggling with uh, the fact that God is truly speaking to him. And all signs point to Gideon and Israel losing this battle among their enemies. You know, the armies it describes are outnumbered. Gideon's uh, army he is leading is a small number up against the uh, scriptures say that their enemies were so, uh, it, there were so many of them that it looked like it was locusts covering the hills. And uh, I think the number in scripture is that Gideon had an army of about 300. That's what God gave him. And God said, sure, yeah, you can turn around and do this. Yeah, you can turn around and blast him. You know, yeah. He just wasn't believing it. But the Lord of all the heaven and earth was with him, and the Lord's sovereign, and he held his authority. And so finally, when Gideon believes this, after testing God in a few ways, um, every, then everything about his battle cha uh, plan changed. Everything about Gideon's perspective, he's still looking at the locust, you know, so to speak, uh, surrounding him. But when he decided to believe that the Lord was speaking to him and that the Lord was with him in this battle, then that's when his perspective changed. And that's what I want to focus on. We're going to turn to some scripture here on this turning point in Gideon's story. The turning point for Gideon is in chapter 7, verses 9 through 15, that I'm going to read. It says, that night, the Lord said, get up. He's speaking to Gideon. Go down to the Midian camp, Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. Now, you know the victory hadn't happened yet, but this is how God speaks. It's already done. I am with you. You already have the victory. You just got to catch up. But if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you'll be eager to attack. So God and Gideon have been doing this throughout this story. We didn't read all of them, but they've been doing this dance. Well, if you're not sure that I'm speaking, then go do this, or this will happen. And Gideon has to see it for himself. So Gideon took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. 
It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, here's the the, uh, turning point now, he bowed in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, get up, the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. Now, Gideon goes through some more battle. If we read kind of through the end of chapter 8, and it gets kind of gruesome and all this stuff. I'm not going to read those verses. But uh, in the rest of chapter 8, before the scripture says that the people enjoyed peace in the land for 40 years because of this victory that God gives Gideon, uh, and, and, that Gideon leads, and God gives uh, the, his people, the Israelites, But the point is the turning point that Gideon made and what resulted from from it for the Israelites was this victory. Now, let's turn quickly. I want to jump to another battlefield, uh, and then I'd like to draw a couple conclusions from these two stories for us today. All right, we're going to turn to David's story found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Quick summary before we land in a couple of the verses together. Now, this is a a story of a shepherd boy, David, and the the, uh, Goliath slaying the giant Goliath is a familiar story to many. And this is the story of a young David who later becomes Israel's King David. But in this story, David is a young shepherd boy, the youngest of Jesse's 12 sons, it says. So some of of, uh, David's older brothers had gone to battle to fight for the nation of Israel against the Philistine army that had gathered for war. But David, being the young shepherd boy and already having a task uh, to oversee a, a flock of sheep, he stayed back because that was his job to do. And the scriptures describe uh, this sort of standoff that was going on uh, between the two armies, the Philistine army and uh, God's people. And they're facing each other, the scripture says, kind of on these these two hills and then this like valley in between. So you can just imagine these armies just kind of, I'm going to do something to you. Well, I'm going to do something to you. Well, I'm going to do something to you. Well, I'm going to, you know, I just see this big valley and this gulf and these Are they over there? You know, but there's kind of this standoff at this point in the story. And um, the Philistines had had a a weapon they called Goliath, this asset they called Goliath. And he, you know, Scripture says he was this uh, giant, stood tall uh, among the uh, soldiers. And he comes to the front of the Philistine battle line each day, the Scripture says, for 40 days. And he mocked Israel, uh, the Israelites. He mocked God's people, and he mocked their God. Kind of taunt them. Let's do this. Let's do this battle. And so Goliath called them to fight, but Israel's king at the time, who was King Saul, um, they were scared. They were scared of the threat of this one giant and the size of the Philistine army behind him. And so 
King Saul was trying to kind of prepare his best, best soldiers to fight, but nobody wanted to fight Goliath. Everybody was scared of this one giant. And so one day, little David was sent by his dad uh, to visit the front lines. You know, it's, the story says David had, I believe, at least three brothers that were fighting uh, and soldiers and, and the Israelite army. And his dad says, here, go bring them this food. Bring me a word back. Let me know what's going on over there. Let me know about what your brothers are doing. His dad wanted a report. So while uh, he was following the instruction of his father, David does this, and he goes and he brings his brother, you know, uh, the message his father has sent them. And he overhears, well, I, I guess everybody could probably hear Goliath, you know this booming voice, taunting and mocking. So he kind of, that catches his attention. He's like, "Who? this guy's, you know, mocking God. He's mocking the God of Israel. Who is this guy? And so David starts to ask around the camp, and all the soldiers are like, none of us want to take him up. He's trying to, you know, he wants to fight. None of us want to get up there. We're scared of him. And David's like, well, can, can I do it? And everyone's like, no? What? You know, who are you to ask? I mean, his father, the, his brothers, the soldiers, the, even King Saul, he gets up, he says, well, can I go ask the king if I can fight this man? And everyone then is kind of like, well, I don't want to be the one to push him forward because then I'll look, you know, I'm pushing this little guy forward ahead of me, but I kind of want him to go because then I don't have to, you know? So anyway, David does. He makes it to King Saul and King Saul's kind of are you sure you want it? What? No, you can't go fight this. You're just a shepherd boy. You're the youngest of Jesse's sons. I've got all these soldiers here. They're trained for battle. They're equipped. They're trained for battle. We've got a plan. Well, your plan's not working, Saul. So David actually convinces the king to send him in place of one of his um, soldiers. And uh, David does that. We know this familiar story. David goes and and he fights and he uh, slays uh, Goliath. Now, in David's story, this turning point for Israel didn't happen, this victory that they won with this, this battle uh, against the Philistines because David pursued um, fighting the enemy. The turning point for Israel isn't because David doubted, like we heard in Gideon's story, or resisted God's plan. In fact, because David stepped up to fight when no one else would, this battle was turned into a victory for God's people. And so, I'm going to take us to a portion of verses and read about this turning point in David's story. Uh, read with me in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 37 through 40. It said, The Lord who rescued me, this is David speaking, from the claws of the lion and the bear, will rescue me from the Philistine. So David believed that the Lord would be with him because of his previous experience with him, in which he listed right here. And so it says that King Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of, of mal. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. 
He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. I'm going to jump down to verse 45. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with the sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And everyone assembled here will know. I'm in uh, 47. I'm sorry, I skipped to 47. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. And so David slays this giant with this sling and with five stones, with weaponry that look foolish. You know, he got, he got Goliath rolling in laughter, you know, thought, oh, this is going to be easy peasy. I can't believe Israel's showing their might, you know, through this puny guy, and he doesn't even have armor on. So he looked foolish and he looked weak. And so that brings me to a couple points that I want to kind of draw on and focus uh, in the next few minutes from these two stories. And one of them is exactly what I just said. God's plan for battle. We're talking about battle this morning. I'm using a couple stories from the Old Testament of some, you know, war battles, some physical battles. But I want to apply them spiritually how we fight our spiritual battles. God's plan for battle often looks foolish and weak. And we want to say, oh, sure, it does to the enemy. Oh, sure. Oh, no, but it wasn't just to the enemy. Saul, uh, uh, David's brothers, the other soldiers, they were like, David has a plan to do what? Okay, so it can... It can feel and look that way to us as well, to, to, the, to the people of God. But, you know, God is sovereign, and he will accomplish his victories. And so, and he uses us to do that at times. But it might look foolish and weak. Then we had Gideon, who was this scared chicken. I'll always say that now because of, uh, or big chicken, uh, Regina's message, but he was this unqualified military leader with a small army that was outnumbered by their enemy. David was this young, overconfident shepherd boy with no military experience at all. He couldn't even wear the armor, probably was too big and heavy on him. And so nobody believed that this was a good idea to fight the way that Gideon eventually believed and did, and David Uh, believed that he could do from the get-go. Another point, when it comes to battle, we know a few things about God, his perspective and his position. Those things don't change. From these stories, at least, and you know, the Bible is full of stories like these, where we can learn about how God views battle, how God approaches battle, if I can say it that way, and where God is. What is God's position in battle? Uh, the, the Bible's full of stories like these that show how God's position and his perspective are always the same. He fights for us, and he fights victoriously. It ends victoriously. Amen. God chooses and uses his people, and that includes us. But we see that in the story of Gideon and in the story of David. 
to accomplish his will. And sometimes, again, who he chooses and who he uses, that can look foolish, you know, to anybody. But it's God who chooses and uses his people because is it really us, you know, that, that, is, being, uh, that is doing the battle? It's the Lord. So he can choose, he can use anyone to accomplish his will if we will allow that. It doesn't matter who God chooses because it's not about us. It doesn't matter who God chooses because it's all about him. And that doesn't change. It's the same in Gideon's story. It's the same in David's story. They weren't chosen for their stellar abilities. We weren't reading that today. They weren't chosen for their amazing uh, military uh, intellect and insight and knowledge or even physical strength. What matters in battle, what mattered in their battles, boils down to this one very important truth, I think, for us and to draw from their stories today, that God was with them. When God chose these men for battle, the scripture says, the Lord was with them, or things like, the Lord will be with you. Even King Saul said to David, all right. Go and, do, go and do this. The Lord be with you. That's what makes the difference. Gideon needed a little assurance before he believed God was with him. But David knew it from the get-go because of his previous experience with God and that the Lord was with him. So he knew when he turns to battle and uh, he puts his faith in God that God was with him. So the point of these illustrations is this. The turning point from defeat. You know, Gideon could have seen defeat. David could have seen defeat of God's people. This turning point from defeat to victory in their battle stories is when both Gideon and David joined God in the battle. Can I have my title slide, please? There it is. Today I want to talk to us about joining God in the battle. There's no victory in the battle without God. We can see that, we can read that, we can personally know that, I'm sure, with stories that we don't even need the Bible for in our own lives, but that we could share with one another if, if you had the microphone rather than me. But first, in order to make the decision to join God in the battle, we have to like we saw in the story of Gideon and David. We have to acknowledge that God is present in the battle first. Israel complained, God, where are you? You're not delivering us. Where are you, Lord? He's been present with them, and they didn't realize it. Uh, the uh, 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 Israelites were scared of the one giant, the one man. The whole army was scared. King Saul was scared. Because they were not uh, aware, they weren't thinking about how God was present with them in their battle. And then we have to trust that against, you know, everything, that it, it's not foolish, even though it might seem foolish uh, to the enemy. It's not foolish to trust that God is with us 
in the battle. It's not foolish to join God in the battle. That looks foolish to the enemy. That can sometimes look foolish to even God's people. But we have to take that step and join God in the battle. Both Gideon and David had to decide to trust the word of God. You know, they didn't have the, the, the Bible we have, you know, to trust that word of God. But they had God speaking to them. And they had to trust the word of God. For Gideon, took him a little bit longer to get there. But David had an experience that he was leaning on, that he could trust God again. And I was thinking about how we've been challenged to trust that word of God here at Newark recently, to draw close to God through his word, as Leela uh, preached to us last week, because we trust that it will help us grow. We trust that it will transform us when we draw close to God through his word. We trust that it will help us reflect the image that we were made in, as we heard Stephen talk about a few weeks ago, that image of God. You know, it still uh, makes me giggle a little bit when I think about how Gideon made it into that hall of fame, or faith, hall of faith, we call it in Hebrews chapter 11. He's listed as this faithful, amazing guy. And it's funny when you read his story, you know, what you get to know about uh, how he, who he really was and how he really felt. But that's where uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is where these names of the faithful are listed. And I think of some of the other names that are listed in there, uh, in that chapter. And the point of all this is that these names are listed in Hebrews 11, uh, and they're not there because they were the one. They're not listed because of their power, power. They're not listed because of the power in and of themselves. But their stories are ones by which the power of God was demonstrated and proved. Amen. And it was the power of God that defeated the enemies and the Midianites and that giant Goliath. So listening to the Spirit of God and following the leading of it against all human logic and wisdom that we saw in David and Gideon. Had Gideon stuck with his plan? Had David listened to his father, his brothers, King Saul, those around him? Both would have certainly met their demise, and is along with the people of Israel. And so it's that, oh, boy, that sounds like battle. <laughs> I, attention, what, what were the, I forgot the commands, Preston. He's in, he was in the military, and he was telling me this morning, am I at ease yet? I'm stressed. Oh, I know. You too, Ray. you got to straighten me up. Anyway, we were talking about, I already forgot them. I don't think I would have made a good soldier. Maybe in God's army. Uh, let's hope. But it's the power of God that defeats that enemy. All right. And so today, what I'm, I'm for us, we also must make sure that whatever battles that we are facing, and I'm talking about individually, I'm talking about as a church, Hopefully, we have each other to rely on and stand with at the, during times that we need to. We need to join God in the battle and fight with the word of God. Amen. 
So this leads me to my next point, where I'm going to turn for the next few minutes here. Speaking of the Word of God, I've already mentioned what Leela had challenged us with last week. She challenged us to respond as individuals, you know, as a church, to the God who is calling us to draw closer to him by setting aside, she said, set aside those other, you know, the, the book helps. Set aside the self-help books, maybe. Set aside the, the commentaries and just get into the word of God. Just open the word. And let's just challenge ourselves to spend time in and with the word of God, letting that text speak for itself, clear out of the Bible as we read through it, and hopefully discuss it, you know, with one another and reflect on it with one another. And she challenged us to watch, watch how the word of God will begin to continue to transform us if we'll be intentional about drawing close to God. And immediately last week, and then when we saw the post, if you all are on our Facebook page, the New York United Pentecostal Church Facebook page, and now on our website, newarkupc.info, we can now accept this challenge, if you'd like, to do a little group study in the Word of God and discuss it with one another and do this on a weekly basis or you know, however many times a week you can do this with a group that you might put together yourself or individually. But we've been, we've been challenged uh, by Leela and by, uh, you know, our church to do this and get in the word of God. And I saw that last week and I was like, oh, challenge accepted. <laughs> you know, in service last week, I was like, this is a really good message. Yes, Lord. I, I be- yes, Lord. But then I saw, I saw the Facebook post. Facebook's very effective for me, people. <laughs> so I saw and I was like, oh, and I, ga- I gathered some troops. I did. I got my little group together, so be looking on Facebook. If you guys are on Facebook and you like Facebook, you know I do. Be looking for my posts this week. Oh, yeah, it's coming. My group's excited. We've been, we, we, we got a name. We got, we've got, you're going to see. You're, okay, but this is exciting anyway. But really, challenge accepted. I, because, you know, it seems so like, well, duh, getting the word of God. Like, we're Christians. That's what we do. But, you know, to be able to really, you know, do, slow down, to just let the word, you know, settle in our hearts and minds. You know, the Bible talks about the word of God renewing our minds, settling in our hearts, becoming a part of, of how, you know, how we, we live and breathe. I think Lily even talked about that last week. And watch it transform us. And so, uh, so we're, we're taking this challenge. And I remember last week she said she's kind of a part three of what we've heard from Stephen and Regina about, you know, radical reliance on God and trusting God uh, in the water as as, uh, Regina had preached. And, you know, when things aren't quite clear, when things are unfamiliar to us, when there's change, just trust God, trust what we know, uh, trust that water. And then Leela's saying, all right, we got to get in the word of God. We got to get in the word and let it work on us and transform us you know, convict us, work, you know, for good, all for good. And so as I've worked on this message for today, I I had something I wanted to kind of add, tag on to Leela's. And so I would like permission to call this part three and a half. (laughs) Part three and a half. Can I just, just give it to me. Be like, Meg, that wasn't even a half. That was a point one, three point oh one. 
Okay, that's all right. That's all right. Just let me have my half, and I'll be like, yes. Um, but no, it doesn't, that doesn't matter, really. I was just being funny. Uh, but I was thinking about this challenge, and I thought, well, I feel, I, I, you know, there's something I've been thinking about, that, that uh, about this battle mindset. I'm talking about spiritual battle this morning. I know I'm going back and forth to a few different things, but... And th- th- this is where I'm going. I think that we can expect that as we draw closer to God by reading the Word of God, just the Word of God, open it up, read it, you know, as individuals, as a church, as we've been challenged, that there's another outcome of this commitment uh, that could be, that will be, honestly, I think that will be. And it's this, that we will fight our battles differently. Just like we saw that turning point with Gideon and how David helped Israel just make that turning point since he was so confident he had to get everybody else to see God's with me. This is going to be victorious because God is with me. Because when we join God in the battle, we fight differently. And I'm not trying to assume here nobody here has been in spiritual battle before. I'm not trying to assume that nobody knows how to, how to pick up the weapons of, of uh, you know, God, the armor of God, and I'm getting there in just a second. I'm not trying to assume that. But some of us might not be real familiar with how to set down our own battle plans, our own weapons, and pick up the Lord's and join God. Some of us might be weary. We're a church. We need to get alongside one another. We might have some real soldiers out there, but we need to get up, you know, give them a break. Let them take the armor off for a second. Protect them with the shield. Just wait. I'm getting there. How the shields were like one, two, three, four, and they did this fortress thing. I'm getting there. But you got to have more than one, okay? A shield's effective for one, but many of them, if I could have done that, I should have done that on a, you know, a video thing so you could see it all. But um, we fight differently. That's the point. So we got to join God in this battle. You know, Gideon kind of struggled with this to figure it out. Because when things don't make sense, we're scared of it. Uh, Even if it is God's plan, it still feels scary. And that might kind of, you know, impede our where we're supposed to be, our decision-making, and saying, well, yes, I will join God in this battle. We have to kind of work through things sometimes. But the point is to get there. Don't give up. The point is to get there. Join God in the battle. Uh, Because what we have to realize is that, you know, God's battle plan and the weapons, he says, yeah, fight with these. They won't make any earthly sense because it's a spiritual battle. And we can't fight spiritual battles with earthly weapons. And that's what David knew and opened the eyes of Israel to. That's what Gideon found out. That 300 men really was enough because they really only needed God. Amen. And so God is faithful to his people in this way. And he does have the best plan for us because God is for us. We need to join him in the battle. The Bible's clear and life makes it pretty clear early on that even as Christians, and I think especially because we are Christians, we are guaranteed to fight many spiritual battles, you know, in this life. Right now, I know there's a, there's a real war going on overseas between two countries right now occurring in our world. But, you know, I'm bringing it down using these real 
war uh, stories, bringing it down to talk about it in spiritual battles in our lives that we fight. And scripture reminds us, though, that we fight, you know, as Christians, in these spiritual battles. Remember, we're not really fighting against the flesh and blood, are we? We're fighting against uh, the evil authorities in the spiritual realm. I want us to turn quickly to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Arash, now I need you. Uh, this, uh, these few verses tell us, as Christians, how God equips us to fight these battles. Okay, so I'm up here saying, lay down your weapons. Scrap the battle plans. And you're like, okay, Meg, well, that leaves me with nothing. All right, well, here, I'll show you the plan. It's not mine, it's God's, and it's in the Word. So if we read it, you know, we'll, we'll find it, won't we? Oh, yeah. Oh, here. Arash is putting up a visual for us that he did. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you might, you might um, believe me, but he couldn't actually, he probably wouldn't do this well. So don't tell him, but is it? Okay, it's, it's good enough. All right. Here's our visual. We're going to be reading the scriptures. Now, as you can see, I didn't do this either. I probably wouldn't do this well either. So don't be like, oh, she's so mean to a rush. Um, I probably couldn't do this well either. I, this was not planned. But this week, we happened to be doing the armor of God uh, uh, in my daughter's curriculum. And so they had to put together, you know, a visual. And um, Juliet and Kale both colored this. And then Juliet had a two-day writing assignment because it was a lot of words to copy the battle uh, gear here, the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. So I thought, well, if I'm going to talk about it, we might as well bring it. So we brought it, and here it is. And I think Joel ate the shield. If you want to get up close and see teeth marks, it's kind of like a museum exhibit. Uh, but he can replace it one day when he gets this, this assignment. So the whole armor of God, it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, uh, a final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against, flood, against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So that's what we've been focusing on this week. All right. So this armor here, there are, I did go to, I did go to a commentary. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Not that we can't use them. But because it expounds a little bit more on this armor here. What I think is so neat is to the to first century hearers, you know, when this was uh, written, you know, to the audience in which the author was speaking to, they would have understood, you know, this armor. This is what they saw. This was Roman, uh, this was a Roman uh, armor soldier 
would wear this type of thing. So and for, to us today, you know, we're a little bit, um, uh, yeah, time has passed and we don't necessarily wear this type of thing except seeing it in museums anymore. And so there were a couple neat notes. I'm not going to go through the whole thing head to toe, but a couple neat notes that I read about. One of them was about the shield. Okay, this shield uh, is for protection. Okay, it's, it refers to the Roman soldier's large rectangular wooden shield called a Latin word. No, see, I'm not going to read that. About four feet high, covered with leather on the outside. It says before a battle uh, in which flaming arrows might be shot at them, the soldiers wet the leather covering them with, with water to extinguish the arrows. Who would have, I never, who would think of this? The Roman legionaries could close ranks with these shields. This is what I was trying to do earlier, but it's really hard to do it one person. Uh, but the, the, they close rank with these shields. The first row holding their edge, their shield edge to edge in front, and the rows behind holding the shields above their heads. So in this formation, they were practically in. in they couldn't be. It's a big word. We're doing syllables with Juliet right now, and that's like four, four syllables. Okay, you, there you go. You couldn't break through. You couldn't beat them to uh, arrows, rocks, or even spears. Okay, so that's just a really neat image, you know, imagery there. And I wanted to paint that to understand what, you know, how the, the uh, hearers would have heard that and understood, like, wow, that's the shield of faith. This is God's protection over me, but over his people. Okay, and then the um, other one is the sword. Okay, I wanted to go there because we're talking about the sword, talking about the word. So this Greek term sword in the Greek here refers to um, a short sword about two feet. So it was actually shorter than what I had imagined. But it's used for close hand-to-hand combat. And this is clearly, this is, the only clearly offensive weapon in the list of armor mentioned by the author. And so my point here is God protects us. This armor is protecting us. The helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, these things protect us in spiritual battles. But God also calls us to spiritual battles, not to just sit like this, but we're, we're to attack. We are to fight. And how do we fight? these uh, you know, evil authorities? How do we fight this spiritual realm and these battles? We do that with the word of God. So this challenge is just like, yes, you know, more and more. I'm like, yes, that, you know, to get into the word of God and, and watch it transform us, but also watch how it's going to equip us for spiritual battles that uh, we as a body are going to fight together and individually, the, uh, whatever we're in. Or you know, they always say, if you're not one now, one's coming. It sounds so pessimistic, but it's true. We have to be aware of the spiritual realm o- o- around us. Uh, all right, so in closing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to a landing here. I wanted to leave us with this word of comfort. Jesus, speaking to his disciples in John 16.33, said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. 
Here on earth, this is what I want us to pay attention to. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus said, he was talking to his disciples, Jesus said, I have overcome the world before he was crucified. He actually overcame the world with his death, burial, and resurrection. But here, Jesus is living among them and says, and he's bringing them comfort. You know, take heart, have peace, because I have overcome the world. He hadn't yet done the action to do that. Of course, Jesus was God, but he hadn't done the action to do that yet. But that's how he spoke. Because again, earlier I mentioned, what's God's perspective on battle? What's God's position? He's present. He, he, if we join him in the battle, his perspective is, it's already been won. I've already won it. It was his words to Gideon. It was his words to David. Amen. Yeah, so let's give a hand clap to the Lord. Amen. And we can have peace. He meant it for peace for them then. This can bring us peace and comfort uh, in the battles now, is that his outcome for us is already determined, that God has the victory. Amen. So let's join God in the battle. It'll change the way we're fighting. It'll change the way I'm fighting and you're fighting. Let's lay down our weapons and our own battle plans. And with God, we will overcome, just like he promised his disciples uh, uh, back in the John passage. So I hope we can leave with this comfort today. God knows who he's fighting for. That was made clear since the beginning of time. God proved it again when he became flesh and came into the world in Jesus Christ and died on that cross for us and rose again. And now exists with us and is present among us, even here today, as the Holy Spirit. And he remains present with us in our battles. God always takes the same position in battle because he only has one. He doesn't move. He doesn't relinquish it. He doesn't hand it over. He doesn't say, I'm done. He doesn't say, oh, I don't do this type of battle. God always takes the same positions. And his will will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, as the scripture says. And he will always be victorious. Amen. So if you would stand with me together. I wasn't quite sure how to end this one today. Because I feel like, like we've been given last week from Leela and other pieces in the weeks before. This is something that we chew on. It's something we go home and we commit to. It's something we, we you know, talk about with one another and chew on it in that way, as if I can say it that way. And so if we could just lift our hands, if you feel comfortable, or close your eyes, or take a moment with God, and we want to join the battle with God. We just want to show God, God, we just surrender our weapons, God. We, we trade in our weapons for the word of God. We trade in our weapons, lay them down. We take off what we've been ba uh, battling with, Lord, and we put on the whole armor of God. Lord, we surrender. We scrap those battle plans, and we listen to you in your spirit. 
God, we read your truth in your word, and we say, I'm going to do it that way. I'm going to join the Lord, because this battle is not ours to fight. It's God's. Lord, we want to be attuned to you. God, we want to be on your side. You're on our side, Lord. May we open our eyes and realize, God, if we're not joining you in battle, we are not on your side. You are on ours, God. Thank you for your faithfulness. What weapons do we have today as a body that we need to lay down? What weapons do we have today that we need to surrender, God, as the body of Christ? Lord, we're open to having you speak to us to reveal this. God, we're open to having you, uh, Lord, teach us in this moment as we go on our way this week. God, individually, Lord, reveal to us, Lord, what we need to lay down, what we need to scrap. God, we thank you, Lord, for your work among us. We thank you, Lord, for your commitment to us. We thank you, Lord, for your position in battle. We thank you, Lord, for the victory, God, that you know is already had. God, we want to join you in that victory. I want to join you in that victory. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, hallelujah, hallelujah. We praise your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen, amen. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Praise your name, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We don't have to fight God. Jesus, Jesus, at least not alone. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your name. Praise your name, God. Lord, we just wait on your spirit, God. We listen for your word, Jesus. Praise your holy name. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Praise you, Jesus. Praise God. I'm thankful that God can see what we can't. And that reality is sometimes scary. But I guess if I have to put the unknown in anyone's hands, I want to put it in God's. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Oh, we worship you this morning, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. His Hallelujah. His presence is certainly reassuring. Amen. Well, I know that we have a, a commitment here tonight at 6 p.m., so uh, I hope you have enough space and time to be able to go home, do what you got to do, and come back and join us at 6 tonight. Uh, God bless everybody and have a good week.